Good morning, everyone. Well, these are strange times, aren't they? I don't think any of us anticipated our summer looking like this back at the beginning of the summer, uh, beginning of the year. Graham is on holiday, but yet he's here. Not only here, but doing a Cockney accent. We are in church together, and yet you're not here. Strange times. I don't know if any of you have been affected by the quarantine, which has just been introduced for people returning from France and other countries. But we've grown used to not knowing what's coming round the corner, not knowing if plans we have made will come to fruition or be scuppered by a policy change or a raised R rate somewhere. We've grown accustomed, if not used, to church taking place at home by video streaming. And so in this time of upheaval and uncertainty, it's good to have some constants in our life. And this is at least the third successive year where here at Kennet Valley in August, we've turned as a church to consider the Psalms. And I have found these to be really helpful and blessed times and a constant which uh, I'm pleased to return to because the Psalms are so authentic And there's such real reflections on how life actually is and such a practical guide for us to work our way through these unpredictable lives of ours. Last week, Graham uh, spoke about Psalm 30 and he described it as a sandwich with two slices of Thanksgiving wrapped around a confession. I'm going to borrow from Charles Spurgeon to describe Psalm 31. And at this point, I'd usually look at, uh, try and find the eye of Ivor Bees and catch a smile from him at the mention of one of his spiritual giants. But Charles Spurgeon gives a poetic description of how throughout this psalm, Psalm 31, the strain undulates, falling into valleys of mourning and rising with hills of confidence. And we can see that rising and falling as we re- read through this psalm. It begins with a solid and bold declaration of faith. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. And it continues continues on to verses 6 and 7. As for me, I trust the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. A high rejoicing on a hill of confidence. But then verse 9. Be merciful, to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. We move into a low, a valley of mourning, which then leads us into verse 14 and another hill of confidence. But... I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. And then a dip back in verse 17. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame. Followed by a climb back up that hill of confidence, verse 19. How abundant are all the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you. So where last week we looked at a sandwich of a psalm, this week we look at an undulating psalm. 
And I love that description because it's so real and lifelike. I'm sure if any of us were to be asked to describe our lives or even the last few weeks, we'd do something like this. Up and down. Good moments. Great moments even. Followed by bad moments. Terrible moments even. The most amazing times of refreshment and blessing from God is so often followed by that failure at work or that family argument over whose turn it is to walk the dog. Now, despite the fact it was written thousands of years ago in a different era and a different culture, we have here for our blessing a psalm which reflects how our lives really are today in a coronavirus pandemic, and that is a great encouragement. So as we get stuck into this psalm, the first point to make comes in the title. This is a psalm for the director of music. It is a psalm which was intended for public singing. It was intended for congregational singing. This, of course, is something of a sore point at the moment when the government guidelines prohibit us from doing just that. But it is an important point because we are so inclined to try and separate the reality of our lives from our church experience. We're so inclined to try to present ourselves in our most positive light when we're at church. We want to sing only of triumph and of success. When I was a child, we were sung a, taught a song. It had actions not as funky as the ones you've seen, but when I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. They were fun actions, but it's not true. We're not happy all the time. Look at the words that are to be sung in this psalm, in verse 11. I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. I'm not sure how you'd put that into a catchy song, with or without actions, although I'm sure Rod probably would have managed it. The point is that our times together, whether virtually or when we're able to join together in one room, they're not times to put our best clothes on and on our most pious faces to try and present as people who are winning at life. They're times for us to be real with one another, to undulate together, pass through the valleys of mourning together and rise into the hills of confidence together. In this way, our singing is both a praise for our wonderful God and also an edification and encouragement for one another. This point is confirmed in the last two verses of the psalm, uh, verses 23 and 24, where the psalm turns from being directed towards God to being directed towards the congregation, who are to sing to one another, love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. This psalm about going through the ups and downs of life is designed to be experienced communally with others who are going through those ups and downs so that we can encourage, provoke, and carry one another along as we go. And that's the work of the church, which, as Graham's already said today, which Jesus is building for him to inhabit. Looking at the Psalms, within these undulations, we see apparent contradictions. And again, these reflect our experience of life. 
So we see uh, in verse 2, we see David ask the Lord, be my rock of refuge. And then immediately in verse 3, we hear him declare, since you are my rock and rock and my fortress. Likewise, in verse 15, David states to God, my times are in your hands. Before immediately asking, deliver me from the hands of my enemies. Why does David ask the Lord to be his rock when in the next breath he recognizes that the Lord already is his rock? Why is he saying that he needs deliverance from the hands of his enemies when a verse earlier he was recognizing that his times are actually in the Lord's hands? If we're honest, we recognize this disconnect at times as a feature of our own lives. We know that God is for us. We know that he is sovereign. We know, as we have been studying in Romans, that we have been justified, saved, and reconciled to God so that now we are part of his family. We know our lives are safe in his hands and that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We know this because the Bible tells us so. And yet sometimes it just doesn't feel like that. Sometimes we feel in a valley of mourning. Sometimes the pressures, anxieties and responsibilities of life feel too much. And like David, our bones grow weak. It's in these times that we can learn from the order and structure of these prayers of David's. Faith is their foundation. They begin with the declaration of who he knows through faith God to be. So he says, since you are my rock and my fortress. And it's from this position of faith that he prays for his immediate situation, his feelings and his experience to change. Since you are my rock and my fortress, be my rock and uh, of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. It is because of David's faith that the Lord is his rock that he can pray for the Lord to be his rock in that given situation. Likewise, it's because of David's faith that his life is in the Lord's hands that he can pray for deliverance from the hands of others. Spurgeon calls this praying to enjoy in experience what we grasp in faith. And it's a great instruction for us for navigating through life. Praying to enjoy in experience what we grasp in faith. So we read a word in the Bible which we believe by faith, but we don't feel it right now, so we pray that we might. We read Jesus say just before his ascension, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But we feel so alone. So in faith we pray, Jesus, you are with me. Be with me. We read that there is nothing in all creation which is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we feel the guilt of sinning again. So we pray, Jesus, I cannot be separated from your love. Let me experience your love. Tim Keller calls this David being spiritually active, not passive. And we see David put this into practice throughout not only this psalm, but throughout the psalms as a whole. 
when in the midst of great anxiety and trouble, he will stop, remind himself of the promises of God, and hold on to them in faith. We see him do it most explicitly here in verse 6, where he says, As for me, I trust in the Lord, before he goes on to ask for deliverance from his distress. And again, verse 14, when having described his sorry state, he stops and says, But, but, I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God, before he asks to be delivered from his enemies. This is not faking it until we feel it, but it does require action. It is leaning on what we know about God. It is saying that our prayer life, determining that our prayer life will be based not on how we feel or what our current experience is, but is based on what the Bible reveals to us about God and what we know about his goodness. It is actively depending on, trusting in and relying on the God that we read about in the Bible, who he is, what he's done for us, and asking that we might enjoy that in our experience. It is faith forming the foundation of our prayer, whatever the situation, whether we're up the hill or down in the valley. And where does the faith which is to be the foundation of our prayers come from? We're told in Ephesians 2, it's a gift of God. So this too is something we can lean on and use to pray for more of. In the same way as the, as the man said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. It's this gift of faith which means that we are able to pray to God, as David does here in verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And by this declaration, recognize God's sovereignty and trust him for the future. That's what David is doing here, recognizing God's sovereignty and trusting him for his future. He does the same thing in verse 15 when he recognizes that my times are in your hands. David, of course, is not the only person who is recorded to have said these words, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it's through this verse that we see most clearly that although this psalm was written more than a thousand years before he came to earth as a human, just as Graham said about Psalm 30 last week, the shadow of Jesus is in this psalm. Luke chapter 23 describes the death of Jesus. Uh, and at verses 44 to 46, it says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Written more than a thousand years before he was born as a human, this is a psalm about Jesus. Read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane the night before his murder. Is that account not 
the same as verses 7 to 13 of this psalm. Jesus said in in that garden that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, just as David talks about his soul and his body being weak with grief. We're told that being in anguish, Jesus sweat like drops of blood, just as David describes his eye becoming weak with sorrow. Jesus asked his closest friends to stay with him and pray with him in the garden, but instead they fell asleep, and the next day they ran away and denied knowing him, just as David describes being an object of dread to his closest friends and those who see him in the street fleeing. People were conspiring and plotting to take Jesus' life, just as David describes terror on every side and people and conspiring and plotting to take his life. Jesus experienced all these things that David is describing. Jesus experienced them as a human, and he did it because he was prepared to die for our sakes. Jesus went through this valley of mourning, so he knows exactly what it's like to be in there. And at the end of his suffering, he cried in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he did that, our future was secured. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How precious is our Jesus. What a man. And because Jesus lived through this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's Hebrews chapter 4. So unlike David, we consider this psalm at a place in time which comes after the death and resurrection of the Son of God, after Jesus had lived through these experiences for our sakes. We know that just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly, and that we have now been justified by his blood. We have been saved from God's wrath and we have been reconciled to God so that because we are in Christ, God the Father delights in us. That's what it means to be a Christian, and it's a wonderful, glorious thing. If you don't know it, don't miss out. Act, repent, turn around, and believe. As Christians, we know this salvation and reconciliation to God. We know our lives are in God's hands, and he is a good, loving, compassionate, and rich in mercy. We believe that, we hold on to it so we can use it as a foundation of faith to pray for deliverance from troubles, stresses and anxieties in this up and down undulating life. And we can use this foundation of faith not only to ask for deliverance when we're down in the valley, but to pray for blessing 
at times of equilibrium or when we're on that hill of confidence. And that's what David does in verse 16 of this psalm when he prays, let your face shine upon your servant. Having the Lord shine his face upon us is such an evocative image. I love it. Tim Chester speaks about this in his book, Enjoying God. And he explains the image in the context of the relationship between God the Father and Jesus his Son. And our position as people who have been justified by the blood of Jesus, reconciled to God, and how in in Jesus we benefit from the Father's unceasing favour and love. Chester says, The Father eternally gives life to the Son and eternally loves the Son. Just as the Son, S-U-N, constantly pours out light and heat, so life and love constantly radiate out from the Father to the Son. And now they radiate out to us. Our job is to go sunbathing in our Father's love. Close your eyes, sit back in your chair and feel the warmth of his love on your skin. One of the benefits of the lockdown was a slower morning routine for me. And that combined with the great weather we've enjoyed meant that there were mornings when I was able to sit outside first thing in the morning, read my Bible with the sun shining on my face, literally feeling the warmth of God's love on my skin. Let me encourage you to go sunbathing in the Father's love. Using as a foundation of faith the truth that God loves and delights in you because you are in Christ. Bathe in the warmth of that love. Enjoy in experience what you grasp in faith. But we live in this undulating life where not every morning is sunny and not every morning is relaxed and blessed with time. We're promised that in this world we will have trouble. And we know, of course, that at some point our lives will end. That's why this declaration of faith, into your hands I commit my spirit, is better known as something said at the end of one's life. Stephen said words very similar as he was brutally murdered for declaring the truth about Jesus uh, in Acts chapter 7. And this is a phrase which has been used by other Christian martyrs over the years, And no doubt is still being used by those who are still being killed, even today, because of their faith in Jesus. Stephen had faith in the promises of God. He prayed and committed his spirit to the Lord based on that faith. But he was still murdered. Was his faith misplaced? No. Because ultimately the promises of God, which are the foundation of our faith, and not that we will have trouble-free days of unmitigated success here on earth. The promises of God are something far better. They are of an eternity with our maker, in perfect relationship with the perfect God, in a place where there is no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, a place where life is no longer undulating because the old things have passed away and there is only the mountain top. David catches a glimpse of it in verse 19 when he says, How abundant are all the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. 
It's the eternity, not the present, which is our foundation. And so as we, as our lives undulate through ups and downs, we know that Jesus has been through this before. And that because he did that perfectly and without sin, and he committed his spirit into his Father's hands, and as he was punished for our sins, we know that our futures are now secured in the risen Jesus. And we know that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, so that whether we are in a valley of mourning or a hill of confidence, we can say to our Saviour in faith, into your hands I commit my spirit. Knowing that our present and eternal futures are secure in his hands, and using this foundation of faith, we can actively pray and ask that we enjoy and experience what we grasp in faith. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, you are wonderful. Thank you that you have lived through the valley of mourning, that you have suffered um, and that you are able to sympathize with us as a result. Thank you that you died for us and that you rose again and that we now are in you. And so when God sees us, he sees you and he delights in us just as he delights in you. Lord, help us to grasp, um, to experience what we grasp in faith, to know your presence in us and to know your love shining upon us, warming us like the rays of the sun. Lord, be with us. Help us to be honest with one another and to lift one another up as a, as a church and as a community in the name of Jesus and for your name's sake, for your glory. Amen.